Today, we're going to continue in our series, Who Was Jesus? Who Am I? So first of all, we're going to look at who Jesus was, and then we're going to look at how then do I live out his life in 21st century America. Today, the subject matter is how do I become biblically founded in such a way that the Bible actually influences the way that I do life, influences how I think, influences how I respond, how I emote, how I, how I do everything. That's what we want to look at today. How do I get there? And so first we're going to look at Jesus. And I want to start with a question today. And that question is this. What is the authority over your life? When it comes down to it, what is the authority over your life? And if you're saying, well, there's no authority over my life, this is the wrong answer. Try door number two. Because everybody has something there in submission to, whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not. So my question to you today is, what is your final authority? What, when, when push comes to shove, what is it in your life that that's it? That's what I go to. That's the authority in my life. We find a lot of answers in a lot of different places. Like some people go to Google a lot, right? We get a lot of answers for Google, but uh, Google is not my authority, right? I hope you believe that too. And uh, then there's Alexa, right? She knows everything. You know, just ask, ask Alexa, ask her, she'll tell you. And uh, then there's Siri. I hate Siri. I just have this, just have this contentious relationship because she's always telling me what to do. And I never want to do what she wants me to do. And it's just not good. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm trying to be a, a good, solid Christ follower in that area of my life. Um, so what is the authority in your life? The answer for me is that the Bible is a final authority for me. When push comes to shove, what I'm going to go to when I don't know what to do, when I, even when my, and I'm doing battle, I'm going to go to the Bible and I'm going to surrender to it because it is inspired by God it is the reflection of the heart of God. And so that's what we're going to look at today. How important is the Bible? How important was it to Jesus? And how important it should be in our lives? So in the year 303 AD, the Roman emperor made a decree which he hoped would extinguish Christianity. He hated it. He hated Christianity. And it was spreading all over the Roman Empire and he couldn't control it. And it was, it was a threat to him because he wanted to be worshipped. And here these Christians are in his kingdom worshipping another god besides him. So you know what he did? He made a decree to outlaw the Bible. He wanted to extinguish the Bible. He did everything within his power to try to destroy the Bible and its influence over people's lives. And when I think about that, by the way, he, the, the truth is he failed at it. He could not because the Bible is alive and real and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and he's not going to win against it. But here's what I came to realize when I, when I learned that. This is what I came to realize. Even our enemies know how important the Bible is. The Roman Empire knew that if he could just destroy the Bible, he would destroy the authority over those believers' lives and their power. So that's what he went after. And so even if our enemies know that, how much more should you and I know the importance and the authority and the power of the Bible itself? So let me show you a verse of Scripture. This is where we're going to start today. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're talking about 
Who is Jesus? Who am I? And our relationship to the Word of God. So here's what it says. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. Let that soak in. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. The Word of God is not just a dead book. It's not just a textbook. And oftentimes, Christians approach the Bible as a textbook. It is not a textbook. It's alive and powerful and living, and it is something that when you allow to take hold in your life, it will be amazing how powerful it can be to change and transform who you are as a person. There's an old movie called The Book of Eli. I don't know how many have ever seen that book, uh, you know, it, or that movie. It, it starred Denzel Washington. And, and how many have seen the movie? Let me just, there's a few of you out there seen it. Very popular movie in its day. And it was about the Bible. And it was about, it was an apocalyptic movie and it was about the end times. It was about that there was only one Bible left in the universe, in the, on the planet. And it was Denzel's job to get it to a certain location. And everybody rose up against him and tried to capture it because of how valuable they knew that book really was. I wish, my prayer is that you and I would understand the value of the Word of God. I mean, we have Bibles everywhere, right? You have them on your phone, on your computer, in your house, you know, in your car. I've got, I don't know how many Bibles I have, so many, I probably can't even count them. I wonder, though, how often I really stop and just take stock in what the Bible really is and how important it is to my life. So let's talk about Jesus and his relationship to Scripture for just a second. And uh, I want to remind you of something before we start through this process, and that is the only Scripture that Jesus had was the Old Testament. So as we talk about Scripture as it relates to Jesus, we're talking about the Old Testament, okay? So, so what was Jesus' take on the Old Testament, the inspired Word of God? So Jesus refers to, in his teaching, he refers to Adam and Eve, to Abel, to Noah and the flood, to Abraham, to Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, Isaac and Jacob, just to name a few, Moses, the manna in the desert, the serpent in the wilderness, David eating holy bread, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, Jonah, Zechariah, and I can't even begin to name the rest. So Jesus had this high regard for the Old Covenant, for the Old Testament. In all of Jesus' disputes, and there were lots of them, Jesus was debated everywhere he went because people hated him. They would confront him and they would try to trick him. And in every debate that Jesus ever had, the high court, the highest court of appeal to Jesus was always, this is what the Scripture says. That was, his, uh, that was listen to me carefully, was Jesus' authority. He placed himself under the authority of of the Bible. And curiously enough, even Jesus' enemies agreed with him. Jesus' enemies agreed with him that the Bible was the final word. They just got it wrong. Jesus got it right. Now, this pattern of relying upon Scripture was a defining feature in Jesus' ministry and should be a defining feature in our lives. Even in his own temptations in the wilderness, he depends not on who he is. Remember, he's God. This is God among us. 
And even as he faced temptation in the wilderness, he didn't rely upon his own power to conquer it. Stop there for just a second. Smile me when I say this to you. Are we having fun yet? I'm having a lot of fun. So here's the thing. It's pretty darn arrogant of us. Pause, wait for a second. It's pretty darn arrogant of us to believe that we could be victorious over our sin apart from the Bible. And when we're not in it every day, we're making a statement. We're really making a statement. It's a statement of arrogance. It's not a statement of humility. Statement of humility would be to, to acknowledge my need of the Bible every day. So I want to show you something I hope is life-changing for you. I want to show you how Jesus conquered temptation. Jesus was tempted in all points like we are tempted. But let me show you the difference between Jesus and sometimes how you and I function. In Matthew chapter 4, this is what it says. Listen to this very carefully. Well, let me give you a context for before you listen to it very carefully. Jesus, before he starts his public ministry, goes out and fasts for 40 days. I mean, I tried fasting for three hours once. and <laughs> So this is a pretty big deal on, on Jesus' part, right? This is a pretty big deal. 40 days, he goes out and he fasts. After he fasts, the devil approaches him because he's now in a position of vulnerability. He's hungry. And so... We pick up that thought in Matthew chapter 4, and this is, this is what it says. During that time, the devil came and said to him, said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. It would be natural. You're hungry, right? You have the power. You're God. You could, you could turn these stones into bread right now, and he could have. But I want you to notice what Jesus said. But Jesus told him, no. The Scriptures say, and then he went on to quote what the Scripture said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus now submits himself in the moment of temptation to the authority of God's Word. So the devil, being very crafty and very persistent, then took, took him to the holy city Jerusalem, to the highest point in the temple, and said, if you're the Son of God, jump off. Just jump off. The angels will grab you. Don't you know that, Jesus? Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, again, notice that Jesus' approach is, isn't an argument with the devil. He just simply appeals to the authority of God's word in his life. Then the devil takes him to the peak of, the very, of a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and this is what he says, I'll give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me and notice with me Jesus' response. Get out of here, Satan, for the Scripture says. Three times the devil comes to him and every time, the scripture, every time devil, Jesus is tempted by the devil, Jesus' response is the same. It's always the same. Here's what the Bible says. And I'm wondering if we know what the Bible says. That's my question. Now, I think that's a legitimate question. Don't you think it's legit to ask the question, do I know enough about the Bible to be able to defend myself against all the attacks and all the issues that go on around me? Do I know enough of the Bible to be able to do that? 
And in the culture that you and I live, Americans typically live with a smorgasbord approach to life, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but we don't saturate ourselves with the things that really matter. So that was Jesus. Now let's talk about you and me. Shall we? Okay, I will. All right, good. Well, thank you. Why would I want that in my life? Why would I want to be biblically founded, grounded in the Word of God in such a way that I have the ability to think like God? Why would I want that? Because that's what happens. When you take the Word of God into your life and you let it saturate your life, you're beginning to think like God thinks. Why would I want that? Well, let me see if I can convince you that you need to first. Let me, sh- let me sh- share this story with you. There's a guy by the name of Irvin Good- Gordon, and he owned, he's dead now, but he owned a Volvo. And you know how many miles before he died he put on this Volvo? Three million. Yeah, I said that right. He put three million miles. That's 126 times around the planet. Just to give you a perspective of what that's like. He put over 3 million miles on this car, and he was asked, how did you do it? And that was an interesting question uh, because everybody said it's not possible. And he said the biggest simple is, is, is as simple as this is that when I bought the car, I bought it brand new, I got out the owner's manual and read it from cover to cover. And I did everything it told me to do. When it needed oil, I put oil in it. When a red light came on, I knew exactly what to do. I read the owner's manual. Now, the question is, how does that apply to you and I today? Because the truth is, is that you and I have been given an owner's manual. When you and I are born into this planet, we came, we came with a manual. It's called the Bible. And if you and I will take the manual that God has given to you and I and allow it to saturate our life, then what's going to happen is is that when the storms of life happen, you and I will be prepared. When temptation comes from the devil, you and I will be prepared. When When things happen that are bad to us, you and I will be prepared. So it's like this in Matthew chapter 7. This is what it says. Again, this is Jesus and this is what he's saying. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine i.e. the word of God, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock when everything, here's the reality. I'm gonna prophesy over you right now. There are gonna be troublous times in your life in the future. It's not a bed of roses. And by the way, (laughs) While we're on that subject, let me just say this. You know, 2020 and 2021 have been really bad years, right? Would everybody agree with that? You ain't seen nothing yet. If you read the Bible, you ain't seen nothing yet because there's a storm brewing that's coming on this planet that you and I need to be grounded in God's word to sustain and to understand. So I'm just simply saying, if you build your house on the wrong foundation, when that storm happens, I guarantee that you're going to crumble. You're not going to face temptation and do it well. Let me just talk to the men here for just a minute. They just be right back to you. I love you. I just want to talk to the men for just a second. You're welcome. He thanked me for this. I don't think he will after I say this. You know that temptation you have every day in your life? You know that temptation I'm talking about? 
that temptation that's brewing in your life, you will not be victorious without the Word of God. You just won't. You've got to have the Word of God in your life in such a way that it's founded inside of you. You're grounded, founded, and growing in Christ Jesus. Then Jesus goes on to say, oh, by, I, back to the ladies. Your tempt, can I talk to you for just a minute? I'm not one, not a lady. You'd probably notice that. But I do think I understand. I've been, you know, I've been married to one for 48 years, 47 years now. So I understand you a little bit. And here's what I'm just going to say. Your temptation might be a shade different than mine. Maybe not. Maybe it's the same. But you won't be able to stand your temptation if you're not founded and grounded in God's word. That's just it. And how do I know that? Because this is what Jesus says. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and, it was, and, and great was its fall. You've got to build your house on the right foundation, on the words of Jesus, on the words of God, and it's so powerful when you do. So then the question then is, how does the word of God serve me? When I do that, what, what can I expect from the word of God when I do that? Well, in 2 Timothy 3.16, very, very familiar passage of Scripture to most Christians, but this is what it says. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Stop there for just a second. Literally, that means God breathed. Theos pneumatos is the Greek word there, and literally it means God breathed. All Scripture is given by God, and it's God breathed, and it's profitable for, this is what it, how it affects my life, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So let me just kind of name some of these things that it names here. First of all, here's the deal, is that it, what it does is it teaches me what I need to know. I don't have it all together. I don't know everything. I can't predict tomorrow. It gives me instruction of how to face life, how to respond to the troubles times ahead. It gives me correction. I don't know about you, but spiritually, I'm ADD. I'm just telling you, I'm all over the map. You know, I'll be sitting in my office reading my Bible and somebody will walk by my office and I'll go, I wonder what they're doing today. <laughs> and I'll be back to reading the Bible about five minutes when my mind, you know, goes, you know, wherever it takes me or, or I'll look out the window and I'll see a bird. And I'll just watch what that bird's, I don't know. Is it just me or just anybody else? Can you relate to that? Come on now. I am spiritually ADD. And oftentimes what God has to do in my life is that he has to bring me back to center. And he does that through the word of God. And that is so important for you and I to hear. And then we, from the word of God, we discover promises. We live with promises produce hope. There was an old dead guy by the name of uh, G. Campbell Morgan. He was a really famous preacher in a generation ago. And uh, when he was a young preacher like me, he went to visit a couple of ladies in his congregation. And uh, he was, you know, they were shut-ins, and so he was there reading the Bible to them. And in Matthew chapter 8, he comes to Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, it says, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the world. And then he says, isn't that a wonderful promise? And one of the ladies quickly replied, young man, that is not a promise, that's a fact. He just put him in his place. And because promises, when they come from the mouth of God, when I promise you something, I wouldn't go to the bank with that. When God promises you something, that's a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different level. He promises out of a character that cannot lie, cheat, or fail. 
And then you know what else the Word of God does? It gives me a context for how do I live life. A context for how do I live life. The Bible is like a telescope. If a man looks through this telescope, he sees, a world, he sees the world beyond, or a woman sees the world beyond. Sees things that you can't see with the naked eye. And as you see things that you can't see with the naked eye, it gives you a context for right here, right now. So as I see what is beyond, I have a context to now live in the present, right now. Present tense. It gives me the ability to understand, oh, I get that. It's a context for living for right now. But the most important purpose of the Bible is to reveal the person and the character and the works of Jesus Christ. That's what I need to know most. The purpose and the character and the works of Jesus Christ. So let me show you five results of when I get serious with the Bible. I want to show you five results of what happens when I get serious about the Bible and I let it begin to penetrate my soul the way I should let it penetrate my soul. And I, and I really apply it. And just let me just say one thing before I go on. This is, this is, I didn't plan on saying it. didn't say it to the last service. Say it to you because you're special. You need special help. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding you. I don't read the Bible for information. I don't read the Bible as a textbook. It's not a formula. It's not chemistry. I read the Bible out of relationship to God. And that makes all the difference in the world to me. So when I read this book out of relationship to God, I'm gonna tell you what happens in my life. First of all, we've already covered some of this, but I get the power of God to resist temptation. I see the tricks, I see them coming. I see the traps that are laid. I can avoid them and I have an answer and I know I don't need that. I don't need that. Not today, I don't need that because the word of God gives me what I need for today. And then it's a GPS of life. When I am confused, I go to the Bible. It gives me the clarity to spot error. There's a lot of error in our culture. Have you noticed that? There is a blessing of stability. It produces stability for my life. It produces a source of hope. But the Bible is also life-giving. There is this famous guy by the name of Martin Luther. You ever heard of him? And this is what he says. The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. The Bible speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold on me. That's what the Bible is. When I allow it to be that in my life, when I get serious with the Bible, God then begins to get serious with the level of maturation that he's going to produce in my life. So having said all that, let me just spend the next two minutes and 11 seconds with you and give you some really practical stuff. So, but I need to know who my audience is first. So I'm going to ask a couple questions before I share this with you. How many of you rarely, and this is a, this is a confession, okay? This is a, this is a time when, when we've got to be honest with God. This is God's, you know, this is God's place and we want to honor him. So we want to be truthful. How many of you are sporadic in the reading of, your, of the Bible? Just kind of raise your hands. Okay, ooh. I thought that was who I was speaking to today. <laughs> kind of sporadic. Some days good, some days bad. Some days I get distracted. Some days I just don't feel like it. And some days I'm just too darn busy. Not too many things going on. So let me start by just simply saying, you will never grow with a sporadic approach to the Bible. You'll just never grow. 
You'll stay the same. You'll be the same 10 years from now. 20 years from now, we'll have the conversation and you know what? You'll be stumbling over the same things you're stumbling over right now. So why don't we just in our hearts right now make a decision that we as God's people are going to get serious about opening God's word and creating a stability in our life based on that word. And I would start if you're not if I would start in the New Testament. Okay? Now, if you have never, how many of you have never even opened a Bible? Let's just be, let's just, let's be honest. Never opened a Bible before. Anybody here like that? I have my hand up. Who's Put my hand down. Maybe, there's, maybe you're just embarrassed to raise your hand. It's okay. I would start in the Gospel of John if I were you. Because that's where you begin to understand the character and nature and works of Jesus. So I'm going to give you some things. I'm going to give you some five or six things that I believe that are really practical in allowing the Word of God to speak to you and not just be a book, okay? So here they are. And what we're going to do, we're going to put them one at a time on the screen. And at the end, there'll be six of them, I think six of them up there. And then you'll take your phone out and you'll take a picture of them. Because if you come to me afterwards and say, what was the second one? I'll say, I can't remember. I'm sorry. It's a second service. Forgive me. But you'll have a picture in your camera, right, on your phone to be able to do this. So is that fair? All right, good. First one, and I want to just simply say, I don't start with a commentary when I read the Bible. I don't care what other people say about it. I want to know, I want to let the Holy Spirit, I, I want to let the Holy Spirit speak to me. So I get on my knees and I say, God, I need to know what this means. I need to know what this means. And I, I'm asking you, the Holy Spirit, to be my teacher. I want you to teach me what it means. So as I am walking through a section of Scripture, there are several questions that I'm going to ask myself. One of them, and this isn't necessarily in this order. It can be in any order. But these are the questions that I would ask myself. First of all, is there a promise to claim? Is there, you know, I need hope. And I want to grab a hold of every promise that God's going to give to me. Is there a promise that I'm reading right now that I can put into my life today and work it out and live it out, you know, the rest of the day? Is there a promise that I can claim today? Second question I ask, is there a lesson to learn? And the minute I stop asking that question, I become dangerous as a pastor. Because I don't have all the answers. I don't know all there is to know about the Bible. And once I stop growing, I start becoming dangerous. Growth is a very important process and part of the Christian life. So I'm just going to say, is there a lesson that I need to learn? God, what are you trying to teach me? And before I ever do a message to you, I ask the question, God, what are you teaching me? And then there's their blessing to enjoy. Sometimes God just wants to open the floodgate of heaven and allow you to enjoy blessing, favor. Is there a blessing for me right now, God? Let me just, let me just saturate myself with that blessing. Is there a command to obey? Is there something, God, that you want me to start doing that I'm not doing? Like being nice to Pastor Dan. Is there a sin to avoid. 
Is there a sin that I need to deal with and I need to confess in my life as I read through? Is there a sin? Instead of just making this an academic book, I, this is a relational book. God, have I offended you? Have I offended you? And lastly, is there a new thought? I need, I need new thoughts. I don't have every thought of God. I need to have new thoughts. I need to think new ways. And now you can get out your phones and you can take a snapshot of that if you'd like. I don't care if you do or don't, but don't ask me for point number three because I'm not going to tell you because it's my turn to be mean to you. So here's the deal. As I approach the Bible and I, I'm serious, if I'm doing this correctly, that means I've got to give it more than five minutes a day, right? It means that I've got to sit down and I've got to find a place, a quiet place that I'm not going to be disturbed in. Unless that bird flies, then that's a different story. I've got, I've got to find a place that I'm going to really engage with God in his word. So with that thought in mind, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. No one looking around for just a minute. And I want you, if you're comfortable, just to simply say, Jesus, I'm in. I want to know your word.